Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm uh, thinking about Create a King. And I hope if you've been in the poll room for your coffee and tea this morning, you noticed the prayers and the pictures that some of us did in the prayer week. They're up on the board there. So if you'd like to have a look at those, they are really inspiring. And if you've made one of those, you might like to take it home with you um, today, and then you can use it for a prayer focus in, in your prayers in the week. So please have a look at those. And uh, I was thinking about you know, the fact that we are made in God's image, and he is a creator, we create. And so I've been looking at one or two things that people have used their imagination for. And uh, if we could have the first one of those up. Now, you might be interested in this. If you're popping over to France for a little holiday and don't want to bother with the queues at the ferry, this is an amphibious bicycle. <laughs> so you might like to make use of that. <clears throat> Actually, Pauline, I don't know if they do an amphibious tandem for you and Andy. Yeah. That'd be great. Give it a go. <laughs> So you could make use of that, or here we are. If you don't want to bother to download the stuff onto your iPhone and you like a bit of retro, here we have a radio hat that you can use. Now, I don't know if they ever quite got into the market, but you might be interested in one of those. But we are all, aren't we, invested in road safety, and I think this might be the ultimate a people scoop for the front of your car. So if somebody is just wandering out in, off the curb and you're going along there, it will scoop the person up nicely. He doesn't look awfully comfortable, but it might be better than being knocked down. So you might want to consider one of those. So I'm sure the range of People's imagination has gone beyond that. We've got lots of inventions, haven't we, that have made life a lot easier. But let's compare those with some of these that God has done. And Graham's going to come and talk us through those. A few unexpected facts for you. One teaspoonful of a collapsed star, known to the technical people as a neutron star, weighs as much as the whole of the human population, about nearly a billion tons. That's quite a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> That's quite a lot. Right, you might even have heard of this one. Um, there are thought to be more stars in the visible universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches on all of Earth at least a billion trillion, although who on earth has counted that or even, even estimated it, I don't know. Um, and, you, uh, and the astonishing thing about those stars is, as we've just been singing, God knows the name of every one. Mm. You must have quite a big alphabet. Uh, and one has to say that these are quite approximate numbers. But what the mo one of the most amazing things for me is that if you took that same number of water molecules you'd only get 10 drops of water. What an astonishing range of scale we have. And next, there you are, even a little ant, its brain contains 
50,000 cells, which is why the ants could think so well. And next, and finally, as I said, ants are stronger than elephants, which is a bit of a surprise. But an ant can lift 10 times its own weight. Elephants can't do that. Actually, even we can't do that. In fact, sometimes in some mornings, it's as much as I can do to lift my own weight. There are just a few facts that when you think about are quite amazing. I mean, it's just totally amazing, isn't it? What <clears throat> God does. And that he does things beyond... I mean, who could imagine creating all that? The detail and the scale. And he did it all by a word, his authority and his spirit. He didn't have anything to start with. He just spoke it all. Now, throughout the Bible, we are constantly being reminded that God is a creator. And in the early chapters of the Bible, we receive an account that Moses was given on Mount Sinai, an account of creation. Because by that time, people were worshiping the moon, worshiping the sun, worshiping all kind of other gods, and bearing in mind a central part of creation is relationship with God. People were turning towards these other gods and creating the created things. And so Moses was given an account that we now have, now have in Genesis that says, I am the creator. Don't worship all these other things. I am the creator who created those things these things cannot have a relationship with you. I can. And so God was very clear about his creation and that he is the creator. And so Genesis isn't so much an account of um, the physical workings of the world. It's not an account of how it was done in that sense. It's a, an account of who did it. That's the point. So not only does he create, but he also sustains. He didn't just make his creation and leave us to it and think, well, I've done that. It's up to you now. You do what you like. You keep it going. Because it's his central purpose, his relationship, he's involved with us and intervenes and cares for us. He's constantly doing things and involvement. As we've heard from Jason this morning with that lovely um, account you gave us of your mum and how God had intervened for her and brought that life to her. Now, there are many accounts in the Bible of God's intervention into our human life into his world, and there's one in Exodus that is quite astounding, I mean, there's many astounding ones, but I'm just picking on one in Exodus that is quite astounding. When God is rescuing the Israelites through Moses from Egypt. Now, if you were a commander of the army, if you were the chief of the army, 
and you knew that the enemy was in hot pursuit and you needed to do something about it, you gather together, <coughs> excuse me, you gather together your top brass and you sit down and you say, come on, the enemy here is, is in hot pursuit. We need a strategy. What are we going to come up with? If one person said, I know, I've got it, why don't we go down to the Red Sea and then we can just roll the sea back and then all the army can go across, the horses, the men, can all get across. And when once the last man is gone and the last horse is over, we just close the sea up again. So if you were that commander of the army, you might say, Joker, now can we have some serious suggestions, please? But that's what God did. Exactly what God did. He took them down to the, the Red Sea, and he said to Moses, raise your staff up and stretch out your hand. And the sea parted. Now, it wasn't just two foot. You know, this was a vast expanse of sea. And I was only just thinking, when I was thinking about this again yesterday, but the sea isn't just two foot deep all the way across, is it? It's quite deep. So did they go down a big hill and up again? I don't know. But it was a vast expanse of dry ground. And God said, I'm sending an east wind to do that. That's some east wind, isn't it? I haven't heard on the weather forecast or a shipping forecast anybody saying, if you're going on that stretch of water, just a little, there's a big east wind coming, so be aware, because you might be stranded for several days, you know, on the dry ground. It was an east wind, and God did that. And then when everybody was across, he said to Moses, stretch your hand out again. And the waters closed up, and it was not a good look for the Egyptians. In Psalm 77, this is recalled, and it says, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Isn't that amazing? God all did, God just did that. That grand thing, but his footprints were not seen. That's a huge magnitude. In the book of Joshua, we read that Joshua, he, God told Joshua that he would deliver Jericho into his hands. Now, if you were to think of a good strategy for taking a city, it probably wouldn't be to walk around it a number of times and then give a shout. What would that do? But that's what happened. Now, that defies all the laws of physics and everything else, doesn't it? But you see, God is a creator king. He not only created everything, but he is king and ruler over everything. So the laws he created will respond 
to his command. And that's why he can do the miraculous things. That's why he can do these vast things. Because he, he's a creator, king, and he has authority. Now, John 2, in his gospel, starts, and we've heard a little about this at the beginning of Genesis. I think it was um, Pontip, wasn't it? Um, John starts, in the beginning was the word, and the word was, was, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him, and without, thing, without him was not anything made that was made. So he's starting with that statement that God is at the beginning, nothing was made without him. And John lived in a time and a place when there was a growing interest in the scientific workings of the world. Um, there were a lot of philosophers up and coming, mathematicians, there were a huge interest in the growing science. And in fact, Pythagoras himself, who many of us might have had the uh, possible uh, dubious pleasure to hear about, in my case anyway, to hear about at school, um, Pythagoras is only 500 years before. And a great scientific brain, a great mathematical brain. And I could never understand what Pythagoras would ever have in any relevance to anything in my life or his theories, but I am told on a good information that actually engineering and lots of the things we have today are built on what Pythagoras worked out. So in fact it has great relevance, but I didn't see it then. And John isn't saying that it's wrong to find out about the world. It's a good thing. We benefit from that. But what he's saying is, don't let it take you away from the one who created everything. Because this knowledge that you've got is not the thing in itself. There is one who created that. He is the fount of that knowledge that you are finding out. And in Colossians, Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And in him, all things hold together. Now, the, the fantastic thing is that here, by John's time, the person who parted the Red Sea, who created all the things that we've seen there, comes down to earth wrapped in a person. How can you squeeze all that into a human being? You know, it's, and, and Philip, when he's calling, when Jesus is calling the disciples, Philip says, we have found the one that Moses wrote about. They heard about all these things that he had done. And here, in front of them, 
was a person that could do all those things. He, he was, I mean, what on earth would it be like to have Jesus, that person that you know has cleared the Red Sea and done all these other things, and here he is in front of me. I mean, it's mind-blowing, isn't it, actually? I wonder, what would you ask or say to him if he was here in front of you? What would you like to say to him? I'd really like to say, how on earth did you do that? You know, I, I, there's so much I'd like to ask him. But in Revelation, we read a vision of the Son of Man that John was given. So we've seen Jesus, who is the Word with God at the beginning, the living Word. He's come down as a person. And in Revelation, we read, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were bronze, like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. What a picture, isn't it? How can we imagine that? That's something for you, Christine, to have a go at, too. Well, how can we imagine? Jesus at the Word, a living Word with God, as a human being, but still able to do all that. And here he is, with his face like the sun, his eyes like blazing fire, his head and hair white as snow, with that double-edged sword. What an amazing, powerful picture of him. But this is the person who is still with us by his spirit. You know, we can think, what on earth would it have been like to have Jesus standing in front of us? But we still have him by his spirit. Now, we're going to hear uh, two poems now that Anne is going to read for us. And there is a sharp contrast in these two poems. One is a psalm. And the other was written in the 1800s. So it's kind of written in the way they used to write in the 1800s. But it's amazing how right from Moses, John, through to this man in the 1800s, uh, Jones Very, I think his name is, still trying to work out the glory of God.
Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, and he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants, of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. As Sally said, a poem by Jones Very, written in the 19th century. But oh, how relevant it still is today. Has the rain a father? We say, it rains. Oh, unbelieving age, its very words, its unbelief does show, forgot the lessons of the sacred page spoken by men of faith so long ago. No farther than they see men's faith extends. The mighty changes of the earth and sky to them are causeless all where science ends. And unseen cause they know not or deny. They do not hear in the whirlwind or the storm the mighty voice which spoke to man of old. They do not see in the clouds of heaven his form, nor in his ceaseless works his power behold. Who makes small the countless drops of rain and sends showers upon the springing grain? So did you notice the difference in those two? 
the, the praise of the psalm. And although the poem isn't necessarily how we would write things today, you know, what comes through is where do we see God? Like the men of old? Do we notice God? And I'm going to move on now to looking at somebody in the Old Testament, uh, a man called Naaman, who you can find the story of in Two Kings. And Naaman was a, a commander of the army, uh, the king of Aram. And he was very, very highly regarded. He was a very successful man. And he contracted leprosy. And his wife's servant suggested that he might go to the prophet Elisha, who might be able to do something for him. So off he went with his horses and chariots. And he arrived at the house of Naaman. Now the prophet Elisha sent a messenger to say, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But listen to Naaman's response to that. But Naaman went away angry. He thought, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his Lord, wave his hand over me, over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father... If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? Now what of Naaman's reaction? He had gone to Elisha. He recognized that Elisha's God might do something for him. But what a small box he put him in. He thought, I'll just get the quick answer. Maybe he thought he would have a Moses moment, you know? Stretch the hand out and it would all be done. Maybe he was thinking of that. But he was not open to the mighty ways of God. He wasn't open to the creativity of God and how God does things. He just had his own agenda and his small little box of what he expected of God. But God had a further purpose for him, the waters of Israel. He wanted him to be cleansed He's not just interested in Naaman's uh, recovery from the leprosy. He's interested in the whole of Naaman. You see, Naaman didn't see the possibility of the living water that we heard from Powell earlier. He just saw what he wanted and how he wanted that answer to come. And I wonder, do we say, do we, are we the same a little bit? We've got this mighty creator God who can do all this, 
But how often do we say, this is my request, I'd quite like you to do this and do it in this way, in the way that I would like it done, thank you very much. But the story ends well, because Naaman's servant challenged him, and he went off, and he washed in the waters of Israel, and he became clean, and he knew that this is the God, which was God's purpose for him. Now, I want to just quickly finish by reminding us that Psalm 139 tells us we are knit together in our mother's womb by God. For some, that is a lovely thought. For others, it's a really hard thought. If you've not had a good experience in coming into this world. But you see, God is the creator of all. He's chosen whatever your circumstances were. He's chosen you as a central part of his creation. And you might think, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not something like this lovely, grand elephant, magnificent, with the gorgeous flopping ears. I'm more like the ant who is insignificant. But you know, the ant isn't insignificant. The ant had a special quality of its own, didn't it? Nothing and nobody is insignificant in God's kingdom. So God is about relationship. His creation is about relationship. And he is the king who rules, he sustains, he intervenes, he renews. He is continually creating. And two questions we might consider are, what would you like to ask God to create in you and through you? And again, we heard a little bit from what Pantip said this morning about creating new things in us. You know, David asked for a, to have a clean heart, creating me a clean heart. What is it that God wants to create in us? He created new life for Naaman, more than just his physical recovery. What is it that you would like to create in you? If Psalm 139 is difficult for you, you might like to ask God to create in you his security, a knowledge of his purpose, of his love. What would you like him to create in you? And what would you like him to do through you? And secondly, are you and I going to squeeze God into the little box that says, I want you to do this in this way I want to see this far, but no further. Or are we going to open ourselves up to the great creator of the world who sustains things and continually 
creates. <laughs>